welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on Luke chapter 10, verse 25, through chapter 11, verse 13. In what ways is Messiah's mindset different from the fallen mindset? And how can today's scripture portion teach us to adopt Messiah's mindset? When it comes to our relationship with God, what should our priorities be? What's most important? What about our priorities in life? And how should we treat people? How can we think like Messiah thinks and behave like Messiah behaves? Stay tuned throughout today's program for Eliyahu ben David's insight on Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through chapter 11, verse 13. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through chapter 11, verse 13. Behold, a certain Torah scholar stood up and tested him saying, Rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the Torah? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love Adonai your Elohim with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, asked Yeshua, Who is my neighbor? Yeshua answered, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who both stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, a certain priest was going down that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he traveled, came where he was. When he saw him, he was moved with compassion and came to him. He was moved with compassion, came to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever you spend beyond that, I will repay you when I return. Now which of these three do you think seemed to be a neighbor to him who fell among the robbers? He said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Yeshua said to him, Go and do likewise. 
It happened as they went on their way, he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Yeshua's feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to serve alone? Ask her, therefore, to help me. Yeshua answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. It happened that when he finished praying in a certain place, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one but deliver us from the evil one. He said to them, Which of you, if you go to a friend at midnight and tell him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within will answer and say, Don't bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give it to you. I tell you, although he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as many as he needs. I tell you, keep asking and it will be given you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he won't give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And now, here's Eliyahu ben David with some insight on that portion. We're going to be continuing on in the book of Luke, learning from the Master. We're going to be looking into Messiah's mind, and hopefully it will 
uptick our mind a little bit as we look at that. Messiah's mind is different from the mind of people, right? Because to him, keeping the Father's commands was his top priority when he came. And he said that to us. And he said, well, as I do that, you need to do that. So just by pointing that out to us, he's like at the highest place and he's pulling us up to see things the way he does. And as we go through the Gospels, we keep seeing this happen. We keep seeing him dealing with our thinking, our mind, and wanting to lift us up and bring us to a higher place. It's kind of interesting. That reminds me of this passage from Corinthians of Paul, where he says, for who has known the mind of Adonai that he should instruct him? Well, he instructs us. We don't instruct him, right? Because he's just infinitely wiser and knows more than we do. And yet, even though that's true, it says, but we have Messiah's mind. It is possible to be raised up to a place where we think like him. And that's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting us to learn how to think like him. And of course, Paul is talking there in Corinthians about the Holy Spirit and the effect of the Holy Spirit on the spiritual man. And we're not getting into that too much where we're looking in Luke right now, but we have to realize this is the background of having Messiah's mind. We need to have his spirit within us. Well, let's look at some of these verses. We'll look at it just from this point of view of how Yeshua helped us and others come up to a higher place to get his mind about things. We have the Torah scholar. I'm not going to go into all of that. I would like to say this, though. The Torah scholar asked, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And when he said what his answer was, to love Adonai with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, Yeshua said, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. If you kept the Torah perfectly, as Messiah did, you would receive eternal life. It's that simple. The problem is, even people that think they're totally keeping the commandments, they're falling short. Because we know because of the fall that we're all born in sin. And that wasn't true of Messiah. Being the son of God, he didn't have that handicap of the sin nature that we have. And so... He was able to deal with sinners, but in perfection of heart, mind, and spirit. And this is why many times he was very different from the people around him. And 
The thing about Messiah is he did keep the commandments perfectly. That's why we can live because of him. That's what makes him the perfect sacrifice offering for our sins. But that doesn't let us off the hook about the commandments. Because the whole point is to give us grace that we can grow in keeping and guarding his commandments. That we can actually come to a place where we can do what Messiah did. That's really what he wants to do with us. And it's a process. And we need that grace for that process. It's kind of interesting here that if this Torah scholar had stopped right there, then he would not have been embarrassed. But he had to push it a little further, and it does say that he was testing Messiah. So we know he wasn't really looking for the answer, was he? He was thinking, maybe I can trip this guy up, and then all of my other Torah scholar friends will think I'm so cool. So he said desiring to justify himself, who is my neighbor? You see, if you have a short list of who your neighbors are, you can hate all the other people and not keeping the Torah, right? And pretty much the object of these Torah scholars was to justify themselves. But this is true not just of that system, but really most systems of religion are like this, that people are trying to justify themselves according to the dictates of a certain system, of a certain religious system. And if they live up to that system in their own mind, then they feel justified before God. And that, of course, is a trap So I've kind of made some points here showing what's at the bottom of the hill, (laughs) the fallen thinking. If the identity of my neighbor is left undefined, then I have some wiggle room to hate some people and still consider myself as keeping the commandments. So why do we do that? You know, it's really, we don't want to have to depend on God's grace. We want to feel like we have earned it. And that's a big mistake. That's a big mistake. However, from my own experience, I have to tell you, some people have to try that to burn through that eventually. They have to actually live under this religious oppression where they think they're keeping the commandments, trying to do it, And being frustrated in that effort over a period of time to finally come to the place where they see that you can't do that by your own power. Let's see how Messiah dealt with this. The Good Samaritan parable was his way of expressing his mind about the matter. And basically the bottom line of the Good Samaritan parable, as far as what we're talking about here, is this that even an enemy stranger 
is your neighbor. So the wiggle room that the Torah scholar was trying to preserve by asking that question was removed from him. And then, of course, he had to face the fact that while he loved some people, there were a lot of his neighbors that he wasn't loving. Because that is the nature of legalistic thinking, friends. People who think that they are earning their salvation are looking down their nose at every person that they think is not measuring up to that. And that justifies them to treat those people as lesser life forms to themselves. And Yeshua hated that self-righteous attitude. And it's very unbecoming. So that's really the whole point of the Good Samaritan parable here, is really exposing to that Torah scholar his own sinfulness. And that he was not keeping the commandments that he was claiming to keep. And Yeshua further drove it home saying, go and do likewise. Telling him, this is what you need to do. A change of mind, right? Grabbing a hold of him by the hand and trying to pull him up to a higher place. Well, let's move along a little bit. We have Martha and Mary. And I think this is really a classic case of Messiah trying to help someone get his mind about things. It says, It happened as they went on their way, he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Yeshua's feet and heard his word. And I just find this interesting. It was Martha who had invited him to come, but it was Mary who sat at Yeshua's feet to listen to him. And realizing that Martha didn't really seem that interested in what Yeshua had to say, it makes you wonder a little bit about her motive in inviting him. Was it perhaps for some kind of social reasons or something? And it's just kind of an interesting backstory in a way that that's how that happened. And it goes on and says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to serve alone? Ask her therefore to help me. And this is pretty amazing to me really, to read somebody talking to the Lord like this. <laughs> Isn't that outrageous? And this involves fallen thinking that we all can fall prey to. So we want to look at that. Basically, what I see Martha thinking is, to be well thought of, one must always act according to the rules of polite society. I'm doing that, but my sister is just sitting there listening to you. That's not fair. You know, we have this, that's not fair thing in our society in a big way. And 
It's not the main issue, friends. It was the main issue for her, so much so that she could speak to the Lord in an insolent way. Do we ever do that? Because of fairness. It's something to think about. Apparently, fairness is not the biggest issue. And basically where she gets to from this that's not fair argument is Yeshua, it's your job to force my sister to do what I want her to do. Guilting the Son of God into doing her will. What do you think of that? Is that too harsh? You know, the thing about Martha is she's really a nice person. Nice people do this. Nice people do this sometimes. It's just a part of their social interactions. They try to manipulate other people to do their will through their thinking about fairness and controlling people and manipulation. And if you watch and see, you'll see it happening all around you. Maybe you'll see it in yourself. Because these things are very much ingrained in society. So that sometimes people who are otherwise good people can fall into this kind of thinking. Especially with your sister, by the way. With family members. Right? Because, you know, my brother just always does that. It irks me so much. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we feel this way about family members. So, let's see what Messiah thought about this kind of thinking. Yeshua answered her, Martha, Martha. I like that, saying the name twice. It's kind of interesting, right? You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Well, what does he mean one thing is needed? Well, when you have a guest... Particularly, we don't know exactly the circumstances here, but it's likely that Messiah was out doing his ministry work, right? And so he was probably sweaty and hot and so on. So if she invited him to her house, chances are he needs refreshment. He needs a drink. And so you need at least that. Maybe he needs a meal. That's okay, too. But the reason he wanted to be there was spiritual reasons. So once the need is met, sit down and listen. But she didn't want to do that. He said, one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Yeshua never let anybody control him or manipulate him through guilt, through fear, through coercion, or through anything else. And we shouldn't do that either. And it's just wrong to do that. And it's not helping the person who is trying to manipulate and control us to let them do that. And that right there is a very big thing where in this story, Messiah is trying to lift us up to a higher place 
that we recognize that when that's happening and we don't allow it to happen. And basically, this is what this is saying. In the kingdom, things of the Spirit take priority over being overly polite or even common norms of what is fair. You see, Mary, as he said, chose the good thing. So, whereas in a lot of situations, socially, basically the more you do for somebody, the better it is. Not here. And when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to the kingdom, the spiritual things need to come first. And all that other stuff, though it's nice, really needs to be secondary. And for the most part, all of that needs to be kind of toned down so that the emphasis can go on to the spiritual aspect, right? That's kind of what he's saying. Do the thing that's needed. Now, there are exceptions to that. We have feasts, right? And they're appointments of Yahweh. And so we have time set apart for feasts, like Passover and other times. So we wouldn't want to point to this parable and say, well, that's wrong to have all of this at Passover or whatever. I'm not really saying that. But I am saying that when we consider what is appropriate, we need to take into consideration what is going on here from a spiritual perspective. And how can we make that the focus instead of just doing all the stuff? That's all I'm saying. And then, as I say here, don't even start using Messiah to get your own way. He hates that. People die sometimes because they do that. Don't do that. Well, after this, we have the section about prayer. It's interesting how that came up because Messiah was praying and his disciples were with him. And so obviously they observed how he prayed. And no doubt they saw that connection that he has with the Father, and they wanted to have that. Now that's not a desire from the lower nature, is it? That's a good desire. And so this is a case where he's not really trying to correct them. He's just trying to answer their worthy question, seeking the truth. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Prayer is very important. And it's interesting that they knew and had noticed how John had taught his disciples how to pray and saw that as an example. And I have this thought, when you sincerely seek out the truth from Messiah, he will give you more than you imagined every time. It's good for us to ask him to teach us things. Because it's amazing, his ability to teach his people to actually give us his mind. It's just really so amazing. And he's so ready and able to do it. And we see it in his answers. 
He said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I was a little kid in school, every morning we used to say the Lord's Prayer in school. And so obviously as a kid, I got to know that by heart very soon. And a lot of times people look at that prayer and, you know, they feel, well, the Lord prayed this prayer, so I should say it just like he said it. But the truth is, when he gave us the Lord's Prayer, he wasn't giving us something for us to repeat and say by rote. That wasn't his purpose. What he was trying to do is give us an example of how we should pray and kind of leaving it in for us to fill in some of the blanks. For instance, he starts out with our father in heaven. And by that, he's saying, you need to approach Yahweh as your father, that you have a relationship with him. You're not just like some kind of a pagan going to try and twist Zeus's arm to give you something. You have a real relationship with your father. And that's the ground from which you approach him. And then he goes on and he says, may your name be kept holy. So right at the beginning, the concern is for the things of the father, not for your own concerns. And next, the kingdom concerns regarding the kingdom. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now in your life on this day that you're praying, you have certain things going on in your life. So you might have something specific about his kingdom and how you can contribute to the advancement of his kingdom. You see, so you would be expanding this to those concerns you may have certain things going on regarding his will, perhaps seeking out his will in your life. So may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven might turn into father. Show me how to do your perfect will in this situation. You know, it looks like this, but could it be this or something else? You know? So basically he's telling us that our father's, name, his kingdom, and his will are the things of first importance. Well, this is a good thing for us to remember, because while it's perfectly legitimate to ask for things we need, wouldn't it be great to think of our Father first instead of ourselves first? You know, so that's part of the message too, isn't it? And he's showing you right there his mind. Because this is Yeshua. When he was walking on the earth, his father was always first with him. Always. First thing in his mind, always. So what an example for us. Then after those things of spiritual importance, it's give us day by day our daily bread. Now, isn't this a great way that he put that? Because it's not, well, 
Make me rich so I can buy my bread for the next 50 years. He is speaking exactly the way he lived day by day. He was not bogged down in the past. He was not afraid of the future. He was living in that moment with his father. What I'm concerned with is what I need today. And he gave this message a lot of times to his disciples. Very, very important. Now, there's so much in that, because how many people are so anxious about their lives? So anxious about what they're going to have, how they're going to live, so many different things. And that simple aspect of the Lord's Prayer here really shows us his mind, and it pulls us up to a higher place, reminding us we only need enough for today. That's what faith is all about, walking with him today. And then forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. First thing here is an acknowledgement of our sins. Do you know that kind of crosses out a lot of people in the sense that a lot of us don't want to acknowledge our sins? We can be sometimes like the Torah scholar, you know, where we want to find a way to block out our sins because we don't want to face them, we don't want to deal with them, we don't want to admit them. But if you want a good relationship with your father in prayer, you need to acknowledge your sins. And I'll tell you the reason. He already knows your sins. He already knows your sins. And so if you don't deal with your sins with him, then, you know, you're not being real. And he knows that. Everything's on the table with him. You know, <laughs> you, can't, you can't hide anything. It's all there. He sees it all. And he's your father. He loves you anyway. That's the amazing thing. A lot of times I think people run from their sins and don't talk to him about it because they're kind of afraid, thinking that, well, if I mention my sins, he's not going to like me and maybe a lightning bolt will be coming my way or something. And the truth is exactly the opposite. You know, the truth is exactly the opposite. If we acknowledge our sins before him and we ask for his forgiveness, he is very, very quick to forgive us for the 777th time. He knows we're working on it. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a while and we need some help. We have to include that in our prayers. And realizing that we ourselves need forgiveness, we have to forgive other people. Who are we to be saying that person is sinning like that and that person is saying like that and that person did that against me and that person did that against me? How can we do that if we are truly acknowledging our own sin before God? See, we can't, right? If we truly want to be forgiven, then we need to forgive others. And then he says, bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is shorthand for 
You need to do spiritual warfare when you're praying. You need to do spiritual warfare every day. It's going on every day. So that's part of the Lord's Prayer. So there's really a lot to the Lord's Prayer. You know, he summed it up in a few little verses, but if you really do it the way that is implied, it's going to take you some time to pray like this. You know, he prayed all night long. I think he had a lot more to say than what is just written down here, right? He was really doing the Lord's Prayer. And, of course, that's what they needed to do as well. Well, praying like that, as we all know from our own prayers, has remarkable results in our lives. It really does change you. It changes your thinking. I bet everybody here has had the same experience I've had sometimes when I'm praying and I say something, and the Holy Spirit tells me, that's wrong. And then I hear what's right. And I love that. Never feel bad about being wrong. Just feel bad about feeling wrong and not wanting to admit it. The way that we rise up to the mind of Messiah is by being corrected by him and getting his mind. And that's a wonderful, precious thing for that to happen. And in the kind of prayer life that he was talking about, that's what will happen. And over time, you know, we keep being drawn to a higher, higher place in our thinking. And then he says this, I tell you, keep asking, and it will be given you. Keep seeking, and you will find. Keep knocking, and it will be opened to you. And I think this is just so important. You have to keep asking. Something I've seen with Yahweh is that timing is a big issue with him. You know, you are feeling the need for something right now and you're really feeling it. But right now, if you get that thing, it might not be good for you. So if you're feeling that need, you continue to ask. And then when it's the right time for you, that's when your father's going to give it to you. We tend to feel like if we pray and it doesn't just come, that our prayer is not being answered. That really isn't true. It just hasn't been answered yet. And we need to trust his timing about things. Because if we run ahead of his timing, that's when we get ourselves into trouble a lot of times. We do need to wait on him. But we need to keep asking. And at the right time, it will be given to us. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and it will be open to you. And he assures us, for everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. The persistent prayer of faith will be answered. It's a living relationship that we have with him. 
And when people seek from him his truth, and they're seeking out the things that they need in their lives according to his will, he is so desirous of answering those prayers. And I have just seen over the time that I have been following him that I have had some times when I have started to pray and before I finish the sentence of what I'm asking for, I have it in my hand. And then I've had other times where I've prayed for things for years and had to wait. Like our father Abraham did, right? He had to wait. Waiting is part of being a believer. Waiting is part of your training. And if there's any part of your training that you're likely to hate, it's probably waiting. Because we don't start out with a lot of patience. Patience is something you really have to have. (laughs) You know, you really have to have, especially when you come into times of trouble. And so our Father is good to help us develop that important quality by making us wait for some things. And perhaps if we see how much he loves us and what he's doing, we actually could come to a place where we could thank him for making us wait to the right time. It will be opened when the time comes. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I love how He says that. If you, being evil, do you know you're evil? That's His mind. I mean, he's just telling you how it is. And if we look at our fallen man, he's right, isn't he? He's right. So we have to accept that as being true. But at the same time, even unbelievers love to give good gifts to their children. This time of year certainly proves it. Right? Everybody loves that. They love to give good gifts to their children. And in that respect, all decent parents are like their heavenly father. You know, your father in heaven wants to give you good gifts. That's what Messiah is saying here. He wants to do it. He's just waiting for you to come and ask him. And he's wanting to bring those gifts into your life. So whether you have to wait or whether you get the answer before you even finish the question, whichever way it is, it's perfect. His timing is always exactly correct, exactly perfect. And you are his child and he loves you. And he longs to give you the good gifts that you need, particularly gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are the best gifts of all. Really wonderful gifts with which not only are we blessed, but we can bless one another. 
So, you know, I think this is one of the most wonderful things about being a disciple of Yeshua. It's not just that we follow him, but it's really a matter of becoming more and more like him. And this is what he is doing with us. And he's like the man in the picture, you know. He's made it. He's on the top. He's always going to be on the top. And that's where he should be. But he's not just screaming to the whole world, well, I'm on top. No. He wants to help every one of us to come up to the place where he is. You know, he even says that for those who overcome, they will sit on his throne with him. That's pretty amazing. But we have to receive his mind to get to that place. And he is so willing to help us to have his mind. More and more, we get to see this whole picture of who he is, of how he thinks, how he operates, and what all of this is about. And, you know, it is so big, you couldn't sit down in one week and get it all, could you? It takes time to absorb that and to grow in that. You have been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. The scripture verses referenced in today's program are Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through chapter 11, verse 13, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Further teachings and study materials on Messiah, the Holy Spirit, the biblical standard of righteousness Messiah lived by and wants us to live by, what love is according to God, what the Bible says about loving God and our neighbors, the kingdom, the nation of Israel, following God's will, prayer, dealing with sin, overcoming attacks of the enemy, the disciples or Talmudim, and being a disciple of Messiah today along with many other related topics, can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom.
crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. You've heard that the Book of Revelation foretells apocalyptic events at the end of the world. You've heard about the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. You may have even heard Eliyahu ben David's programs on Revelation or read his book entitled Announcing Judgment Day. But do you know what the book of Daniel foretells about the last days? Are you aware of the current events that are reshaping the world closer and closer to the one world government described in biblical prophecy? Eliyahu's Daniel Seminar includes new revelation from Daniel that has been sealed for nearly two and a half millennia. Join us as a free member on our community site, Cyan Tabernacle, for access to our free eight-part video seminar entitled Beasts of Daniel Surfacing. To see what other free resources you'll get as a Zion Tabernacle member, go to zion.org and click Join Us in the menu bar. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G. Then click Join Us. Messiah, shake the mountains, make your